0: From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts.
1: Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. Uh, We're excited today, I'm excited today, to bring a new guest to the table for our listeners and viewers. And that is Kim Arthur, CEO and uh, one of the founders of Maine Management. Welcome, Kim.
0: Jeff, thank you very much. Thanks for having uh, Maine Management on your show.
1: Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, uh, for those that don't know, Maine Management is a model provider to a number of different platforms like InvestNet, Sawtooth, OPS, and of course, our very own Union UMA. So that was one of the main reasons that we wanted to bring Kim on and learn, allow advisors to learn a little bit more about uh, the firm. So let's, let's touch on this real quick. There's something we're not going to talk about. I call them the three Ps, price, performance, and platform. We're not going to hit those because those are better served on individual conversations, right, yeah. with, with main management, right. with Potomac. And so we'll just sort of exit on those. But what we want to do is let's find out, you know, one of the first things that we talk about in our due diligence here at Potomac and, and the Union UMA is firm structure. So yeah. we want to know a little bit about the firm. Kim, tell us. I mean, you were one of the founders, so tell us how that came about. There must have been a pain point in there somewhere.
0: There definitely was. You're 100% right, Jeff. So uh, one of my two partners there, Jim Considine, he was running a large family office out here in San Francisco. And shocker, the uh, matriarch of that family office made their money through software with uh, um, you know developing a company out in San Francisco. So he was trying to build uh, strategies for that family office. And, and we kind of put our heads together and said, boy, wouldn't it be elegant to have something that's liquid, transparent, diversified, tax-aware, and have it where it's kind of beta plus for this family office, that it's the core, and then we can go out on the edges with other managers on the explore, and voila. That was uh, the, the kind of brainchild of putting it together, and as you said, the pain point was Uh, He was, he was, you know, uh, we had both come from single stock environments, so we kind of learned to cut our teeth by uh, doing deep research. But we also realized quickly, Jeff, and you remember this, uh, maybe some of the other audience, you know, may not (laughs) remember it, but Sarbanes-Oxley, which had just happened, you remember that regulation FD, full disclosure? Which that turned out to be a phenomenal thing for the average retail investor that wasn't
1: fidelity
0: that could get inside information from a company before the information had spread out to everybody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's (laughs) it's funny. This this Mm is uh, yeah. There there are some pain points along the way that you know we all have to shake our heads and do a little scratching and and figure out is there a better way or is there something new like that that said hey there's an opportunity here. So. Uh, As we move down that road a little bit, I mean, tell us about the, um, you know, the process. How many of you are there that started the firm?
0: Yeah. So it was essentially three of us that started the firm. uh, And that would have been, uh, well, there were four. It was Jim Considine, Dick Fredericks, myself, and a fourth gentleman, Stephen Doyle, who had been um, actually very much involved in the money management business. So Stephen kind of uh, bowed out and retired early on. But the four of us started uh, we're now 15 people. Um, it's been a long haul. Yeah, it's been a long haul. But uh, it, it, you know, we, we initially said we never wanted to be bigger than our conference room when we started could seat seven people. Well, now we have a little bigger conference room, so we've kind of allowed it to expand. So uh,
1: that's the same well, the same way most people the uh, uh, same way most people buy houses. You know, you fill up all the closets. You just have to go get a bigger house. So George Carlin, by the way, has a great little side note. They have has a great skit on stuff. You got to watch it if you're not familiar with it. All right, I
0: I know George, but I got to watch that. That sounds good. So,
1: so back to task here. Um, (laughs) Tell us about your your passion. What is it about your What's driving you? I mean, you know, you're you're the CEO of the firm, right? So you're going to be. I realize it's kind of a group decision on a lot of these things, maybe. But, but what's the passion, and how does that drive things like culture at Main Management?
0: Yeah, so so just a quick little back piece, and you'll kind of you'll kind of I, I think it'll help out the listeners here. But um, I got a degree in economics, and when I was in college, uh, I I loved reading the Wall Street Journal, and what I loved is I loved listening and reading about the stories that were behind the companies, and more importantly, the people that were creating those stories. So it completely fascinated me, I was totally hooked. So fast forward for main management, and in addition to the people, I really loved the idea of providing solutions, providing solutions, simple solutions that could help people do better in the long run. And a big part of that with main management, again, was was having these, these vehicles to the okay. exchange-traded funds to be able to construct these diversified, transparent, liquid portfolios that were low-cost and tax-aware so that the end investor could always keep more of what was theirs to begin with. So that was really the genesis of us putting the company together and starting out with separately managed accounts because we had a concept uh, where, where again, we we were institutional for our background, but we said we want to be institutional with a boutique wrapper. Voila, perfect. Let's put that together. Let's make sure that we have phenomenal service, always putting the client first, and really, really trying to be a solution for their problems.
1: Cool. Well, I know uh, one of the things I was curious about, because you Uh, we've taken a little bit different approach here as our company has grown over 32 years. Now, you know, give us the exact date when the company started. And then uh, how have you changed over time? Um, You know, direct client, platform distribution, those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, great question. So we started in the summer of 2002, uh, right before the uh, you know the bull market that ran from 03 through 0, 08 before the implosions. So started in the summer of 02, um, our initial clients were kind of proof of concept of, of going direct to high net worth individuals. We had a vision in the beginning, Jeff, if you can believe this, we thought we would be institutional all day, and that was all that we were going to do, have this institutional process and boutique wrapper. But what ended up happening is each day that went on, we didn't realize that the institutions kept moving the goalposts out, and that if at first you could get to them with 100 million to do business with the consultant, then it, when you got to 100, they said, yeah, it's 200. And every time they kept moving the goalposts. <laughs> so what we did is we, we kind of morphed into high net worth brokers and built out a direct-to-client separately managed account business. And then to your point, about seven years ago, we pivoted and we, and we wanted to go after the advisor business. So going after the advisor business, we realized that that was also a distribution game. And so that's why we're now at 15 for our headcount with roughly half of the people that are in direct distribution and then the other half in research and operations and client servicing.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that's, uh, that's an, uh, 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 good information. Uh, what, what kind of AUM is main management now? And then uh, there's my last question in regards to firm structure. Like how, what's an AUM and how much is direct versus how much is the platforms now? Just a ballpark.
0: Yep. Yeah. So we're roughly 50-50 direct and platform and we're about a billion eight in AUMs okay. and AUA.
1: All right. Great. That's awesome. All right. So our next thing that we kind of subject that we like to look at when we're, we're talking to a manager strategist is communication. Mm-hmm. And and that obviously has a lot of different avenues that we can go down. But tell us a little bit about uh, let's talk about the platform space. How do you communicate with advisors?
0: Yeah. So we've always at main management from our heritage, we've been data heavy and collateral research heavy so we've had all this content here um and what we do what we used to do with just the direct business it was kind of one-off we would you know i'd say hey jeff you know you interested in a a report we have on xyz and this space sure send it to me when we pivoted onto the platforms we realized that we really had to uh kind of uh, pull all that collateral together in a simple format for people to get So, for instance, on on, uh, OPS, we have what's called the Learning Center. And on that Learning Center, you can pull down videos on our strategies. You can pull down uh, collateral about fact sheets for the strategies, uh, benefits pieces. And then we also generate a lot of quarterly content around attribution analysis that goes directly to advisors. Um, We have pieces weekly that we send out that has a summary of what's happened and important things in the market. Uh, We have a daily note that goes out. We have trade recaps. We have thought pieces that can be much longer dated uh, that look at things that we like to call the human, you know, mankind who is the the problem-solving machine. So we try to cover a lot of ground, but we've really, really formalized the process with all the content that we've had here.
1: Yeah, I I will say I've I've looked at the learning center and and you know between that and and the email distribution of information your your firm does do a lot of content which is great. I mean we love it. Uh that's a that's a biggie Thank for you. us is is content generation and distribution. Um along that lines, is there anything that you learned in in a difference between communicating with the direct business that you have versus the platform business that you have?
0: Yeah, that's you know what's very interesting is A lot of the direct business that we had, most of these people are really good. They've made their money in software. They've made their money in home building. They've done it in something not financially related. So in a lot of those cases, they really outsourced 100% to us, and they weren't as interested in kind of the processes that we would go through, the seat at the table for the investment committee, so to speak. The advisors are obviously very different where that is their main wheelhouse for them so what we've really learned through it is to is to share and actually give them a seat at the table of our investment committee process so they can see full transparency what we're doing why we're doing it and how we're doing it and i think that was a big learning piece and i really like that because then it allows us to also kind of crowd share with other advisors we have for best practices And maybe you talk to a new advisor that's starting out and you say, hey, I know you're going to have some learning pains when you go from 100 million to 200 million in AUMs. Let me tell you what we did or what this other set of advisors have learned going through it. So it's it's really symbiotic and we're able to kind of share and give back.
1: So what would be, for the platform advisors, which is the, the primary space that, that we're working in and, and speaking of today, what would be the expectation from a communication standpoint of a typical advisor on, on one of the platforms that they, they can access your models? Do you, do you reach out to them proactively? Do you, uh, you know, just give me a little bit of flavor there. That way the yeah. listeners and, and so forth here on our podcast can understand what to expect if they were yeah. to do yeah. business with main management.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Yeah, we, we definitely are extremely proactive. So uh, we will be pushing out, as I mentioned, you know, daily notes, weekly notes, trade recaps. They've got access to, uh, to, to videos on the different strategies. Uh, we will, we will um, set up. We also have a, uh, a setup where where our, our, our sales force, again, we've got, we've got six direct salespeople. We have a, a, a director of sales that also is in a sales capacity in national accounts, and then we have a dedicated full-time marketing person and what they can expect is to hear from us when they call up if they need something that we're going to get right back to them i like to say two rings no waiting um and and we will definitely come come back after them the other thing we love to do too jeff is a lot of times the salespeople they're in direct contact with the advisors who are in contact with their clients they'll generate a lot of ideas for us how to package certain pieces of collateral that maybe we can develop so we have uh, um, you know, twice a month, every month, we have a, a roundup discussion to say, what are the clients looking for that we're not giving them that we can help make better for them? And let's go ahead and grade the content that we have and find out if there's stuff that's not being used by the clients, bang, we get rid of it and we get s- something else. So they're going to find out that, that they can be part of the solution and that we're going to be very hands-on. Okay.
1: Great. So let's move on to program design. And now this mm-hmm. is, uh, to be specific, this is not necessarily about a specific model that you have. What I think our listeners would find uh, advantageous is to understand, let's start with how How does the investment, is it, is it one person on the investment committee? Is it multiple? How do you come to decisions? How many are doing research? Those Hit those couple of things for me.
0: Yep. So the investment committee is three people, myself, uh, Dick Fredericks and Jim Considine. It has been the same three for 18 years, which I think is extremely important because you get that continuity that happens.
1: <laughs> Kudos. That's that's uh, tough to do in this day and age. It, it it
0: really is. And we meet formally one time a week to discuss the strategy. So once a week. Now on that call, we've got my director of research. Uh, we also have the the head of sales. Um, and and my head of operations. so uh, but once a week and it is a majority rules um, for it, we are a fundamental manager with a catalyst. We think that catalyst part is extremely important so that you don't get trapped into you know buying the buggy whip and and it turns out that you were wrong. technology walked right on by you. Um, so that that is the formalized process that we have again by, this reversion to the mean, fundamental analysis with a catalyst, it's going to get you a little bit in the garpy, growth at a reasonable price, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and value. But it's not a pure value. It's not a pure growth. It's probably more of that garpish area that happens. Uh, And I would say that our Achilles heel would typically be late in cycles when momentum's taking over, you can kind of see that, that, that a Garpish strategy is probably going to lag somewhat. But we love diversification. Uh, and we love kind of you know digging into the fundamentals, and you want to look at spreadsheets that my director of research has oh man you got to put your three d goggles on and then go in there with your saber it's uh it's it's fun yeah.
1: well i i 'm just i want to give you uh some applause because i 've never seen anybody with such enthusiasm talk about garbage <laughs> so, so you know I mean, I can tell this is like yes, you know you want to get the this is this is awesome garbage. <laughs> um, all right, so so let's move on to what you're actually investing in. Yeah. Do you yeah. always use ETFs? Only ETFs? Uh, and again, we're speaking to the platform space. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. tell me ab- about do you and why?
0: Yeah. So we do only use exchange traded funds. We do have a couple mutual funds that we'll put in there if the ETF wrapper is not available. And the genesis on that was in 2002 when we started. There were 100 ETFs. Today there's thousands of ETFs. Um, And at that point, we looked and we said, huh, the back of the Wall Street Journal at that time, back in 2002, when they used to have all the sub industries in the industries, we said, at some point, every one of those are going to be represented by an ETF. And whoa, lo and behold, it looks like most of them have and then some. So we use those ETFs to build the strategies that we have. Um, And again, we we like having those building blocks with the ETFs, and and, and we we can be active managers of passive indices as long as we have some sort of a catalyst. Uh, And um, every day that's gone by, when we started, you just had, again, a handful of them. Uh, But as the arms race has escalated, and there's a gazillion of these ETF providers, the three dominant ones are still BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. But every day that a new one comes in, they drive the embedded fees down. So Mm -hmm. every day it becomes a better solution set for the end clients and for us as the builders to have them in our toolbox.
1: Well, as we wind this podcast down just a little bit uh, uh, and and we near the end, I always like to ask this question. What's the one question I didn't ask? You know, the one should I have asked?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I mean you've done a phenomenal job. The one thing that I think really is important, not just for our firm, but for most firms, is culture. Culture makes a firm. And we are very passionate about it here. And I think that if you look at it, passion, client first, and coachability, I think those are three things that permeate all 15 team members that we have, and we are very, very focused on anyone new that comes in that they, they, they need those three check
1: boxes. All right. Well, hey, I, I told you I was going to put you on the spot. <laughs> we always do a recommendation. So what's your recommendation for our listeners and viewers?
0: So Anything under keep, the
1: sun, man. Fire away. I love,
0: I love it. So I'm going to keep mine uh, available for people that are able to either, you know, look back into AMC, American Movie Channel, or that have a Netflix account. There is a series that uh, AMC fired off in 2014, four seasons long. Uh, I think probably just two years ago, Netflix picked it up. It's called Turn. T U R N. It's about. It takes place in 17 uh, 1778. So during the Revolutionary War, it's about George Washington and his spies. And oh, sweet. It's, it is, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's got definitely, you know, it's fiction and, and nonfiction, but there is definitely enough of the, of the, uh, of the truthful part of it there. So I would definitely do that T U R N.
1: All right. I'll check that out for sure. Uh, I'm going to do something that's, Manish will probably make fun of me for this, <laughs> but we, my wife and I found this. Uh, it is an Amazon prime thing. Amazon, you know, when you're listening to Amazon music, uh, one night, um, when we were in, uh, Oh, uh, where was it? Cancun. We were on Cancun on vacation. Ooh, nice. And they were playing some... Every night, They would the music would be turned on when we would come into the room. And it was hard to find, but I found it. And it's actually... I've got to look at this. It's from the Deep Sleep Music Academy, and it's called Sleep Music, Relax Music, basically. I will provide a link in the show notes, just like Christopher will put the link to your show in there. And And I kid you not, the first time we turned it on, we're like, it's piano and just some... But it's like really slow... And you just, wow. I bet I listened to that sucker 10 times before I ever made it past the first little short song. Because you're just wow. out. You just, you I, I <laughs> so, love it. I you love know, it. it's not exactly exciting, but uh, it works. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's nice. You know, we all get busy. We all get, uh, you know, going 100 miles an hour. And sometimes it's nice to just just chill just a little bit and, and it's a good one. So On that note, Kim, I appreciate you taking time out of your yeah. day, your whole crew. We've enjoyed getting to know Wayne and Daryl and, and Jim and a number of the folks there um, and certainly uh, look forward to, to many happy days uh, working together. All right.
0: Likewise, Jeff. Thank you very much too. Appreciate thank the partnership you. and time. All right. Thank Bye-bye. <laughs> all opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities
1: discussed in this podcast.